you know and what you believe. And hopefully this series will encourage you. It's entitled Foundations, What We Believe. If you're not sure, I think it was Evelyn... Uh, Evelyn uh, gave me some of these, and maybe Lily knows where the rest of them are. Unity of the Brethren, Origins, Beliefs, and Practices. We've got several of these pamphlets. They're, they're old. I think we need more of these. I think we need to make them readily available. They may be readily available out there. Are they, Evelyn? Do we have these out, outside? So you might want to pick one of these up as you leave and, uh, and just look and read and, and find out where we're coming from. This series will address the concepts of doctrine, Everybody's heard of, of doctrine. They, it will also address the, the concepts of the sacraments. What are sacraments? Where, where do they belong in the Christian life? The ordinances of the church. It will also direct concepts like the Trinity. And this is where the atheist and the agnostic, their mind is just blown. And I love talking about the Trinity. I've heard people give some good opinions about the Trinity is like, is like water. It comes in, in, in solid, in, in ice, or steam, or, or, or liquid, in a fluid. And in that way, God is three in one. That's cool, okay? That's neat. But the danger with defining something like that, there could be limits. Remember, you can never figure God out. You can never understand God. His ways are past our finding out. And you've got to come back to this place of love, this place called faith. Faith. We are a faith-based entity, the church is. And when it comes down to it, we don't understand it all. The intellect that God gives us is a gift. But what does the enemy do? He takes that intellect. He takes that knowledge. He takes that brain, that marvel of creation. And then he twists it and uses it against God himself. Because it is with that brain that we often come to the conclusion that there is no God. Well, I've always concluded that it takes more faith to believe there's not a God than it does to believe there is a God. And if you ever meet a person without faith, quote, they have faith. It's just what the, who they have faith in. Everybody has faith in something. God has given to man the measure of faith. It's hardwired in who you are and what you are. So everybody has faith. The question again is, who and what are you having faith in? This series will help you see and identify your Christian identity. It will help you realize who you are and hopefully cause you to be able to stand with confidence and with faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what I believe, why I believe it, and what that means in my world. Those three questions unbelievably, cannot be answered by your average church attender. And if we don't know the answers to those questions, no wonder we're not shaking the world for Jesus Christ. We're intimidated by a press that is anti-Christian. We're intimidated by a world that has a, 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 a biased view against those that walk with Jesus Christ. It's, it's incredible. I heard someone the other day, this is on a sports, sports radio, I was driving down the road in some sports channel, and Tim Tebow made a comment about something. And this, this sportscaster said, why didn't he just shut up? Why didn't he just keep his mouth shut? And I thought, wow, where's that vitriol coming from? Why in the world do you, do you hate Tebow so much? I mean, this guy, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, he, he led the, the Denver Broncos into the playoffs, and 
defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers in, 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 a, in an incredible game. And the guys, the guys in NFL football, what's the deal? Well, there's one defining moment, his Christian testimony. And I thought, why are you so quick to have him shut his mouth? Because of the things that come out of his mouth. He often proclaims Jesus Christ. So don't be intimidated by a world that's not ready, willing, and just eager to hear your message for Jesus Christ. You need the confidence. So I'm alerting you that next Sunday, we're going to begin at 6 p.m. from 6 to 7. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall on, on uh, most Sundays. Of course, when we have confirmation, we won't do it that evening. But we're going to meet for discussions on what was, what was said from the pulpit. And these, and, and, and some of the things that are in our catechism and in our beliefs. We're going to discuss these. And this is a good time for answers, questions and answers, for things you've wondered about, things that you're not sure about. This is a time to hash that stuff out. So from 6 to 7, we will meet in there. So let's begin. Number one, why did God create you? What is your purpose of life? I think the number one question in the world is, why am I alive? What is the meaning of life? Well, let's look at Psalms 145 in verse 10. Of course, we go to scriptures, as you're going to learn later in this series, that all authority, all Christian authority, all authority of all Christian doctrine and ordinances and sacraments comes from the Constitution of Bylaws. That's a joke, friends. It comes from the Word of God. We go back to what God says on everything. So when we ask the question, why are we alive? David said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all your works, you say, everyone say, I'm a work. You are not a piece of work. You're a work. <laughs> all your works praise you, Lord. And your faithful people extol you. This is one of the things that we do. This is an occupation of a Christian. This is why we have public worship. This is why we sing to the Lord. This is why we pray for one another. This is why we do the things that we do. Because it's, it's part of our meaning to worship and to praise God. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name. How many of you are saved? Raise your hand. All right, that means that Jesus is in your heart and your sins are forgiven, right? Okay. Everyone. That's you. Who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. God has called you. We belong to Him. We are His. So that means that God has specifically called me out, chose me, saved me for His purposes, for His glory. How many parents have ever been to a Little League game of a grandson or a son or a daughter? Have you ever you done that? If you ever want a definition of the glory, sit in the stands. And watch those parents when, 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 when little Kate comes up to bat. Okay? Watch them. Listen to them. You're going to experience glory. Unless they get a little carnal. I can't believe. <laughs> but but when, when the glory of a father, the glory of a mother is the child. And you are God's child. And life is your little league game. And the Bible says not only God... And his angels are watching you. But we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that are watching and pulling for you on the field. And that's where we are right now. We are actually in the field. 
We are on the battlefield because we are alive and breathing in this earthly environment. It's a dangerous place. It's a place where we could get hurt fatally. I was out of Fort Hood yesterday. It took some soldiers out there for training, some National Guard, uh, National Guard uh, uh, battalion from, um, from Bryan. And it was a medical uh, detachment. And as we were driving out into the field of Fort Hood, we passed a sign. And the sign said, danger. Live ordnance flying over this road. Proceed at your own risk. Now, friend, I'm going to tell you something. That causes you to have concern. I didn't need it. We didn't need a pass to get out there. There's a place where you can drive on the base where tankers are practicing, where helicopters are flying, Apaches are shooting, and, and artillery is going overhead. That's what the, the servicemen call the field. Well, you are out in the field right now. It's a dangerous place. And you need to know that God is watching you because you are His glory. You are His DNA. You are His image. He loves you and He is pulling for you. This is why we have the, the kingdom building moments. I want you to come up here and I want you to say, you know what? It was awesome. By the way, speaking of kingdom building moments, I'm proud of Joseph and, and Pee Wee. Joseph and Pee Wee, uh, I, I was talking to some of our, our delegates that were there and they said that they did an excellent job. I had to leave for the funeral, and, but I, I missed their presentation. But uh, I, I'm proud of them. So they're like the glory of the pastor. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, Tabor, way to go. That's new Tabor. That, that's our guys. But God is proud of you when you take a stand for him and you do good. God is proud of you when you pray for somebody that's in need. When you are his hands and his voice, he says, look at that. Go, go, go. Round second, round third. Go, go. He wants you to score. We are his glory. That is one of the reasons that we're alive to please him. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive that glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Not talking about trees and concrete here, friend. I'm talking about you and me. You created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. We are defined by the glory and the power and the honor of God. I'm going to tell you, if that doesn't do something to you, the next time you walk into your place of work, or you walk into your mission field, your environment, whatever, wherever that is, you are an agent of change. You're an agent of power. You are a man and a woman of God. Limitless, what you're capable of. Because you carry the glory of God and His purposes. Is that cool or what? You're more than you think you are. God has called you and created you for His purposes. He could have chose camels. He could have chose any other creation. But He chose you and me. What an incredible responsibility that is. And when you do the things that please God, you feel this little glow. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When you do something good, you do something that was kind, and you, just, you feel good, you think that's you? You think that's you? That's God's glory. That's his saying, look at you. <laughs> Way to go. I am so proud of you. You can't hear it, but you can sense God's satisfaction 
on you. That's what's happening. You just got a base hit. That's what happened. You might have knocked it out of the park. And God's going, I am so proud of you. That's the source of those goosebumps. Because you have fulfilled one of the purposes that you're alive. That's why God created you. Number two. What is the chief concern in this life that God has created us in? Now, I love this part. Because you may think I'm going to begin to talk about some things. Okay, I know where he's going. Matthew 6.33. Here's your chief concern. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. God says, seek me, follow me, chase me, search for me. Remember me. Follow me. Be with me. And God will bless you. He will follow you. He will dance over you. As, as, as I believe in the Song of Solomon says. He will rejoice over you. Our creator, designer, has fashioned us for good. For righteousness. Or rightness. God is the author of your purpose. Not you. I want you to remember that. God is the author of your purpose, not you. You can pursue a career. You can pursue things and try to do this and this. But honestly, guys, God is the author of your purpose. So what is he telling us to do? What is he laying out for us to do? What, 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 what is his design? As a church, as a congregation, our number one concern shouldn't be constitution and bylaws. It should be, God, what are you telling us to do. I was talking to Dr. Kozlowski, the pastor of the pastors, the unity of the brethren. I said, hey, man, I would like to see the pastors address the convention, to talk to the convention about vision, to talk to the, to the delegates about what, what is, you know, this is what God is saying to us. We've come together, we've prayed together, and this is what we feel God is leading us, the spiritual leaders of the denomination, to do and to follow after. Here's some areas that we need to pursue. Because we need to seek ye first the kingdom. And then all these things, all the, all the other stuff, that the add-ons, will be added to us if we look after God first. And then, what is God's primary will for your life? What's the most important thing that God wants you to do? I love this. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, and then verse 13. If you declare, this is God's primary purpose. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, that's faith, that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Wow. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. God's primary will for your life is your redemption. (laughs) He wants to fix you. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back to where you started, pure and sinless in the garden. Isn't that awesome? 
God's primary will for you is not for you to go and sell everything you have and then go live on the streets and, and, and abase yourself and to be, be a poor beggar and just, you know, oh, that's what a lot of religions do. Their highest state of consciousness is to go become what they call a shaman, which you go walk around begging for food, begging for money, and just, you know, just complete. No, that's not God's primary will. God's primary will is for you to be restored to him. For you to have everlasting life and everlasting riches and joy and peace with him in his home called heaven. Isn't that awesome? Salvation is basically human restoration. That's what it is. That's what is happening. You're, you're, you're coming back to be restored. People take these old cars from the 50s and the 40s and 30s and they restore them back to brand new. That is, I am transfixed love. That is so neat. And then they sell those things for fifty and $60,000 some junk heap that you had to work on in a shade tree most of the car's life that, that doesn't run worth two flips. And we've advanced past that. We've got safer cars. But people take those old things, knock the dents and rust out of them, restore them. And then when those things drive down the road, no one looks at your brand new Nissan anymore. You think you're really cool with a, a, a Cadillac or a Lincoln. Or, they don't care about that. What's going to turn their head is that Model, I, Model A that's been restored. Am I right? That, that 57 Chevy that's blistering down, blah, wow. You've got everything except power bumpers on your car, and, 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 and they're not looking at you or your car. There's no such thing as power bumpers, friends. But <laughs> so Some of you are going, I don't have that. Do you have that? We're paying that preacher too much. He must have power bumpers. I don't know. God wants to restore you. And when he restores you, you're a head turner. You have influence. You have a voice. You have you have you have a, a moment where you can become an agent of change. You become powerful when he restores you back to rightness. To return to the originator. I love calling God the originator. I love calling him the self-existent one. I did that recently to someone. I said, he is the self-existent one. You're talking about the originator of all things. Wow. And God, that God wants to restore you back to what you were originally designed to be, a head turner. And then another thing that he really wants us to do is to obey him. This is one of those primary purposes, obedience. Obedience. On that, when you write your offerings out, the most important O that you're going to write on that check is obedience. It doesn't matter whether that's a thousand or ten. It doesn't matter whether there's a decimal point in front of that one O or after. It doesn't matter. Obedience. Obeying God and bringing Him the offerings is what really matters to Him. God's not impressed with what you have. Or what you don't have. He doesn't look at your bank account and go, wow, that's impressive. You don't understand who you're talking to there. Remember? Self-existent one. Originator. You know, God owns everything already. He's not, he's not impressed with what you have. So all that you have to offer him is obedience through faith. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, 
which leads to righteousness. Wow. First Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? You see, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. The context of which this was spoken in. King Saul was waiting to go to battle. And while he was waiting to face the Philistines, Israelites would not go into battle without a sacrifice. And to offer the sacrifice, you needed a prophet. And Samuel was late. So Saul, using reason rather than obedience, decided as king, grand poompa of everything, he'd just offer the sacrifice himself. Well, this was not according to God's ordinance. This was according to Saul's reason. So he offers the sacrifice, and of course, about the time the sacrifice begins to burn, Samuel walks up. And I imagine Saul went, oh great, now you show up. And Samuel says, what have you done? Well, you were late, Samuel, and somebody had to do this. And then Samuel makes the statement that I just read. Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Your obedience in waiting on the Lord's prophet was more important than the sacrifice before you go into battle. And because of this, God has rejected you as king. Saul, because you use reason and not faith, God has rejected you from being king. It is better to obey than it is to sacrifice. The battle of wills is not between God and Satan. It's not one. It's not waged there. But it's rather between God and self. Yourself. Your mind. Your reason. That's where the battle of wills is waged. We need to understand the difference between the two and understand that obedience to God, selfless obedience and trust. You know, there's safety there. I remember the first time when I when I well the first time when I was baptized in in the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking tongues. I I thought, what am I going to do? I don't know why. People were praying around, and it was just what you did in a Pentecostal church. I mean, you need, you need to go there. You need to get that, that gift. It's a gift that, that God gives you. As a 12-year-old young man, I thought, I'm trying to figure this thing out. There's got to be something to this. All right. So, all right, David, so just, just pray. And everybody usually would sit down on the floor or lay down on the floor or pray. So I, I just, man, I just, some people do it in stages. I just thought, well, I'm just going there. I'm going all out. I didn't start on my knees. I didn't start on my feet. I just laid on my back. Put my hands up in the air and I just, I love you, Jesus, love you, Jesus, because that's what I've seen, you know, and and then the Lord's just going to fill me from there. Well, that didn't happen. And I thought, okay. And everybody else is excited. I'm thinking, what's what's with me? I'm a preacher's son. I This ought to be already here, you know. And that's not how it works. And I sat there and I, I kept, and I, finally they said, David, sit up, sit up. What's going on? I said, well, I'm praying. I asked Jesus. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. Nothing's really happening. They said, okay, all right. So what's, what, you know, 
what are you thinking? Well, I, I don't know. I'm just waiting for the Lord to baptize me. And they said, are you hearing anything in your mind? Well, they said, are you hearing anything in your mind? Any words? I said, well, because you know what? I was afraid that it was me that was making some words up. I did. I thought that's me. And if, if I start, if I say it, I'm going to disappoint God because it's me making it up. And then they, they gave me a scripture that said, it said that if, 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 if a father offers his child a piece of bread, will he instead give him a stone? Well, no. If he offers him a piece, piece of fish, will he instead give him a scorpion? The disciples told Jesus, well, no. And then Jesus said, so whoever the Lord offers the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what it is that they're going to get. If you know how to give good, 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 if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So when I ask him for the Holy Spirit, what am I going to get? The Holy Spirit. It's not going to be me making anything up. And I went, okay, okay. I said, we're going to pray again. And David, when we begin praying, you hear that word, those words, or that word, just say it. Oh. All right. And I remember taking the position again, laying on my back and saying, all right, Lord, if, if this is me, it's their fault. You know, I was willing to fall back into the arms of, of the Lord. I was about to take a step that I didn't know there was a bottom to. You know what that's called? It's the same faith. It's the same faith that you observe communion with. It's the same faith that you're healed by. It's the same faith that you're saved by. It's faith and obedience. And I just said the first word, and I thought, "Here goes." And you know what? The Lord took over from there. Unbelievable! The rush, the surge. The energy, the uh, I can't I just can't describe it. How how it is to be baptized and overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit of God. What an incredible moment! But it took the moment before I said that first syllable. I felt nothing, zero. You see, that battle of the wills. I had to go there. And the older you get, the harder that is, because you remember that that trailer full of baggage that we carry around. It gets in the way. But that is what God wants you to do. Obey Him. Trust Him. Don't understand Him. Don't figure Him out. Just be a kid. And it's easier to be a kid at 12 than it is at 47. By the way, I'm not 47. So, salvation, purpose, identity, Survival depends on whom you obey. This is so important. Saul's trying to figure things out, and Samuel says, it's not your call to figure things out, bud. What have you done? God would have been pleased if you'd have just waited. God would have been more pleased if you'd just gone to battle without it, and then it would have been on me, Saul. But you took it into your own hands. You took it to a different level. And because of your arrogance, because of your disobedience, God has removed the kingdom from you. And he's already appointed someone to take your place. And you know who that was. Some guy named David. So where can we find guidance in fulfilling this will? God's will. 
This is where we're going to conclude today. Where can we find the guidance in fulfilling God's will? Constitution and bylaws? No. You know what constitution and bylaws are? It's a counselor. It's not the law. It is to provide counsel to an organization. That's what it is. That's why we often will change and tweak bylaws. You don't change or tweak this, although men are trying to do that. Bylaws are something that gives you guidance and counsel. That's what it is. We find guidance in fulfilling God's will in the Holy Bible. Psalms 119, verse 105. David said this. By the way, the guy that was chosen king after Saul was rejected. David said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. If it doesn't line up with this, it's not worth repeating. If it doesn't have its origin with the originator, it's just not worth standing on. That's why I believe this and I reject all attempts to say that this isn't truth. That this is faulty. It's not, friend. It is the foundation of who I am in Christ Jesus. It's where God's glory rests as we follow it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in rightness or righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow, that's a mouthful. Man of God, woman of God. You might be five foot four or six foot two physically. But if you know God's word and you're strong in this and fully equipped, you're nine, ten, twelve feet tall spiritually. Wow. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sakes. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. He is the word of God, made flesh and dwelt among us. Second Timothy chapter 2, in verse 15. Church... Christian, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. King James says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You are not destined to be a novice in this. And don't you dare die. A novice in this. This is the source of our life. This is the source of our doctrine and who we are. In this world of shifting sand and unstable ground, we sung about that solid rock this morning. Upon Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. This is our purpose. This is who we are. People of purpose. People of salvation. 
people of obedience and people that know and fulfill God's will. I want you to stand with me, please, across this building. We're going to be going through this every week. I hope you haven't been bored with this. I'm not. I live off of it. It reminds me, Dale, of who I am. It reminds me that and and confirms to me that I'm right about who God is. And I'm willing. He went to the cross for me. I'm going to go all in for him. Jesse, pop, pop that up on the screen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repeat this Apostles' Creed. And I want you to repeat it with conviction because this defines who we are as a Christian nation. Repeat with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He went to the place of departed spirits, The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I love that.